Hi there, hockey fans, and welcome back to Rotowire Signature NHL Hockey Pod Podcast with Statsman and AJ. Friends, I'm Paul Bruno in Toronto, Ontario, and you can follow me at Statsman22. My co-host is AJ Scholes. Great follow at AJ Scholes24, based in Sun Prairie, Wisconsin, very close to Rotowire headquarters over in Madison. AJ, we got a mitt full of stuff to talk about right off the top, and uh, of course, I'm smiling a little bit broader than you because of the first topic, and that is the women's hockey final at the Olympic Games. It was on late last night in my neck of the woods. I'm sure it was the same for you. And uh, the score was 3-2, but I don't really think that the game was as close as, as the score indicated until late in the third period. I think Canada got off to a great start and rode that wave and then checked the states into the ice for the better part of the next 40 minutes. That's the way I saw it. And uh, partner, let me finish with a quick comment here, and then I'll, the floor is yours. That's a huge win in this country. This game was watched by a large part of our population. Hockey's huge in this country, AJ. It's probably like the most comparable thing I can tell you is the rabid, most rabid fans that you probably know are, I'm going to guess, college football types. Uh, maybe now with the recent success of the Bucks, there's a contingent there. But hockey is in our bloodline here in Canada. And the country stopped for this one yesterday. I'm telling you, it's big news around here. Yeah, I mean it's definitely big, um, big down here, but nowhere near to that that level. Um, you know, people check it out, are interested. Honestly, the timing probably doesn't help here in the in the U.S. I, I don't think people are going to go out of their way to watch it that late, like they might um, in Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it's probably. I guess if you looked at the ratings, you'd probably see a pretty significant gap. And I agree with your assessment on the game. I mean, when I saw. That first goal in, I kind of said to myself, ah, this might be over, um, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, you know, really, my, my biggest takeaway from the whole thing is, you know, there, there's there been all these rumblings about, oh, they should just get rid of women's hockey from the Olympics because it's always the same two teams. And that's true. Uh, six of the seven tournaments have seen the U.S. and Canada play each other in the final but I don't think that means we should get rid of women's hockey. I think it means that we need to find ways to promote it more outside of the U S and Canada to make the game bigger in other places so that those countries can have more competitive teams. Um, I don't, I think this is about raising the level of the outside competition, not simply lowering the level of competition here in, in the United States. And some of that could come from, you know, maybe there's a way we can, I don't want to say incentivized because, you know, the best players should should still go. But maybe there's a way to get more foreign-born players to come over and play collegiate hockey. Um, you know, the Wisconsin Badgers had five players on each of the teams. So you're talking about 10 of the players in this game were all from the University of Wisconsin. So if we could get more players from other teams, Sweden, Finland, that playing college hockey, maybe that would help promote the game a little bit more, but I think that should be the focus um, rather than everything, anything. And of course, if we focus on that, then we can forget about the fact that Canada won the game. <laughs> well, uh, we're not going to forget that we uh, Canada won the game here for a while, but uh, further to your point, AJ, and I guess this is a comparable that you'll relate to right away, but the history of junior hockey is, has grown the same way that I hope that women's hockey does. 30 years ago, Canada was unparalleled in world hockey at the junior level. They didn't even have a proper world junior hockey championship. And, and in the early years, Canada dominated it too. And, and 
Now it's truly up for grabs every year. And I think that's what we're going to see in another generation. It's going to take a while, but I, I think that hockey is growing in several countries in the world and women's hockey too. It's just going to take a little time for uh, other hockey countries to uh, catch up to the two superpowers in the women's side right now. I'm prepared to wait on that because in the meantime, we're treated to some exceptional games when the ladies lace them up for the two countries that we live in. And uh, that was great theater uh, in the early part of the game and uh, all throughout, actually, it was the, the game was in hand for Canada, but you always knew with the types of snipers that the U.S. could have. It could take a couple of shifts to, shifts to turn it around. So kudos to Canada for the win, but also to the States for keeping pace and uh, providing another great chapter to that rivalry. AJ, number two on the list, I guess number one for you, though, Sidney Crosby getting career goal number 500. We're, we know we're watching a Hall of Fame career here. And I just wanted to know, A, what it meant to you as a longtime fan, and uh, your take on it. I, I, the floor is yours on this one. Yeah, I think, you know, the thing I've enjoyed most about it is just the entire storyline. I mean, it's it's have been a couple games that there was a chance um, this could happen. You know, I think the worst case scenario, honestly, would have been if it had happened in Ottawa in front of, you know, whatever, 50, 100 fans, whatever they were allowed to have, you know, last week. Um, you know, so it, the fact that, it didn't happen until he was playing at home. The fact that it's 500 career goals, it's 50 against the Flyers. Uh, his parents were able to be at the game, uh, you know, I'm sure in part because it was in Pittsburgh. And so, yeah, just the storyline around it was just really fun and, and cool to watch. Um, you know, as, as like you said, as a, as a Crosby fan, I have, I know we're audio only here, but I have my Crosby jersey on right now. Um, it, it's just incredible to watch a player of his talent and his level um, day in and, and day out. And by all accounts, I mean, every single thing you will ever read about Sidney Crosby talks about how great of a hockey player is and that somehow he's an even better person. Um, and, and that's uh, outstanding as well. And probably more important that he can be that good, but that much of an ambassador for the game, for the city of Pittsburgh, and, and everything else beyond. Yeah, we. I extend my congratulations to, if I have to admit it, AJ, loudly and publicly, I have to say the Penguins are among my uh, two other teams that I track regularly and call somewhat favorites of mine in the NHL. The other one is Tampa, and uh, it's because of leaders like Crosby and Stamkos that I'm, I have an affinity to those clubs, as well as uh, relationships with people who who live in those places as well so um kudos to to crosby and uh, I'm, I'm happy for you that you got a chance to see that um, career milestone for him the third thing on our list aj is the first of the major trades that we're anticipating in the next few weeks and uh, this one saw montreal begin their transformation this is going to be i think a scorched earth, earth rebuild tyler Tafoli, uh, essentially one of the team leaders on this club he has some term left on his contract and uh, the, the Canadians got a big haul for the transaction. Let me let me read it out, and then I'll get you to react to it. But they sent uh, Tyler Pitlick the rights to an undrafted player in Emil Heineman, first-round pick in 2022 or 2023, a fifth-rounder in the 2023 draft, and a conditional fourth-round pick in 2024. So that's a number of different pieces. 
I don't know whether, whether any of them are going to become significant or not, but they've got a few lottery tickets here and uh, Tyler Pitlick as well. Um, but they had to get rid of, they have to get rid of some big contracts. And this was step one to Foley's going to be a nice fit in Calgary, probably going to the third line there, giving that offense a deeper look. And uh, that team's really rolling right now. So good move for Calgary, but uh, a good first step for Montreal too, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, as you kind of mentioned, that that conditional pick is tied to whether or not the the first rounder is 2022. If it's, uh, you know, top 10 protected. So if it ends up in the top 10, which seems unlikely that Calgary will have a top 10 pick, um, they seem to be rolling right now. Um, But if it does get shifted a year, they pick up an extra um, fourth round pick because of it. You know, I think for Montreal side, this is a great move. I mean, the, the team is garbage right now. Um, Toffoli was their second best player in terms of points production. They sold high on him. Obviously, Calgary was willing to pay the price in part because they get him for two more years beyond this. Um, so it's definitely not a rental. Um, so, yeah, it's just really, uh, really interesting to see. And Emil Heineman, who you referenced there, he was acquired by Calgary. His rights, at least, were acquired by Calgary previously as part of the Sam Bennett deal um, from Florida. So this is clearly a player that is drawing interest from multiple teams that have wanted him included um, in the prospects, you know, pool on, on big trades. It'll be interesting, obviously, to see if anything comes from that, but uh, great haul for Montreal and, you know, Calgary, as you said, Paul, they suddenly might not be a first line, first line role or a one, I'm sorry, a one team, one line team. Let me try and figure out how to say that um, by adding, adding uh, to Foley to that roster. And yeah, I think both sides really come out with, with what they needed here. Pitlick is a toss in to make the cap situation work. Um, you know, he, he'll be an unrestricted free agent. Maybe he can do enough in the next couple of months to prove to Montreal to keep him around for another year, but I'd be a little bit surprised by that. They'll probably just let him walk and take the added cap space. All right, partner. So now we want to swing into our weekly look around at the 32 NHL teams. It's my turn to go first. So that means later on in the show, we don't, we give each other a chance to talk about our favorite teams as well. And uh, so let me begin with a chat about the Anaheim Ducks. This is a team, AJ, that is heading south in the standings. Of late, they've really struggled offensively, averaging about less than two and a half goals a game over their last dozen games right now. And uh, that's seen some shifting around in the lineup. Certainly, Sonny Milano returning to the left wing slot on the second line should help going forward. But Josef uh, so, Silverberg have, has been mired in a slump much of this season, Jack, Jacob Silverberg. And uh, he's uh, been kind of symptomatic of what's been wrong with this team. They've been counting on some people to deliver the offense, and they haven't. And he's the poster boy for that right now. Only three goals in 43 games on the season. They've also been hurt by some injuries and COVID situations. The current one that's winding up is Anthony Stolarz is returning to lineup from COVID protocols soon. And that will help spell John Gibson, who's played a lot of hockey. He's used to being a workhorse, but you got to think when the team's not going well offensively, there's even more pressure on him at a time like this. The top offensive bright light, in fact, is a third line center, Isaac Lundstrom. He's kind of one part of the next wave, along with Trevor Zegras and, and company that are trying to, they're trying to build the next offensive core around players like this. Lundstrom, for his part, led the team with three goals and one helper last week. 
In Arizona, uh, I think it's just, you know, waiting game for, for what's going out the door. Um, you look at their current, you know, their current makeup, uh, including injured reserve guys. Uh, they've only got uh, seven players under contract for next season. So pretty much everybody should be on the board if, if there's interest there. Um, obviously, Phil Kessel probably will garner the most interest uh, among those players. But, you know, Anton Strawman as well, maybe bring him in uh, defensively if you have something that, that you need to fix there. So, yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting to watch um, in terms of Arizona's future. I think that's going to be kind of our primary talking point moving forward because the on ice product certainly hasn't been very good. Another loss this week and in their only game and and minimal offense uh, coming out of that one as well. In Boston, Jeremy Swayman was called back up to the big club. Now that Tuka Rask is retired and in two appearances, he got a win and a shutout along the way. Patrice Bergeron came back to the lineup after missing three games. So that's big news. And uh, they shuffled things up behind him at center ice. Charlie Coyle now back in the second line role. Eric Halla, I think is being punished for the fact that he didn't really do much in the top six role. Well, while uh, Bergeron was out. He's been moved, in fact, down to a third-line role. And, A.J., when I look at the depth of this club at forward, uh, something jumps out to me uh, uh, after the first line. The wingers of choice now, we don't have Brad Marchand to speak of because he's sidelined, although he's challenging the ruling on his six-game suspension. But when you look at some of the wingers that are below the first line, and remember that this is a team that I remember when I was a kid, they once had 11, 20-goal scorers. But when you got the likes of Craig Smith, and Nick Foligno on in second and third line roles, and neither one of them has even 10 at this stage. In fact, they're barely over 10 when you combine their totals. And then on the left side, Jake DeBrusque has been in the doghouse much of the season, and Trent Frederick hasn't really taken the next step. So you can see that they need some more help on the wings. Otherwise, the, the deficit they, that they see right now between them and the top three teams in the Atlantic Division is only going to get bigger over time. For Buffalo, a really solid week for them, 2-0-1. Uh, led by Jeff Skinner with four goals and, and two helpers. Alex Tuck getting two goals and four helpers. Tage Thompson chipping in four points along that that stretch as well. And, you know, for a team that's as banged up as they are to to pick up a single win, much less to grab five points in three games, is, is pretty impressive. Um, they might get Casey Middlestat tonight. It seems like most likely it'll be the next game. But, of course, they have to take all injury news, the good and the bad. Drake Kajula, who's been out for a while, um, but he's going to have season-ending surgery, um, which is unfortunate for him. He'll be a UFA heading into next year and probably won't really be ready um, until about August. So that could be hard chance uh, for him to try and secure something in, in terms of uh, another team there. But, yeah, Buffalo finding, finding ways to win with a pretty thin lineup. Again, they're also without Gergensen, Hinestroza. Um, as I said, Middlestad's been out for, for a while. He, they're going to get him back. Uh, Colin Miller, Will Butcher defensively. So um, seems like a step forward, a step back for them. Obviously not a, not a playoff team. And, you know, inherently they don't have a ton of pieces that jump out of you as immediate sell options. Um, you know, most of their guys are signed beyond this season. Jeff Skinner would have the most value based on his points, but nobody's going to eat up six more years of that $9 million contract. AJ, I'm going to take a chance here and see if we can engage with our favorite uh, 
supporter from Las Vegas, one Daniel Negrano at Real Kid Poker is the Twitter handle. He and I locked horns a couple of years ago and we talked about when we talked about you and I on this show about Jesperi Kotkaniemi. And I said, you know, I know he's young, but I just don't see the the high ceiling for this guy that so many others do. He signed a big contract here, one year deal and for six million plus, and things just haven't worked out for him. He's now in year four of his career. He's still only twenty one. Uh, according to the birth certificate, I think still. Now, this is a one-year experiment, but it's it deemed a failure in my estimation based on the lack of productivity he has here. A lot of that's tied to the lack of opportunity. He has faced an uphill battle, definitely trying to crack the top six here, and now relegated to fourth-line center role. I'm curious to know what his next contract might look like and where he might be playing. I don't think it's going to be in Carolina, partner. I think this guy needs a better opportunity elsewhere. He certainly hasn't kept pace with the development of, say, an Andres Vesvechnikov. This guy picked up five points last week. He's become a fixture on the top six. And that Toivo Teravainen has also rehabbed his career with five points. They're kind of comparable, in a way, to uh, Kotkaniemi, and he's lagging behind both those guys, in my estimation. I wonder if I'm being too harsh, but uh, I'm not known for that, am I? (laughs) No, I, I I don't think you're you're being too harsh uh, too harsh at all on that one. Uh, one team that is being harsh on the opposition is the Calgary Flames. Eight game win streak for them, including going four and zero last week. Uh, and then you know you have a team already doing well, and they pick up a guy like Tyler Toffoli. Uh, you look at his numbers this year: twenty six points in thirty seven games with the Montreal Canadiens. That's pretty freaking fantastic. Uh, given the support and cast around him. As I said, he was the second leading point producer uh, for uh, for Montreal this season before obviously being being moved off here. So uh, as, as you mentioned, Paul, I think he slots into a third-line role, um, which gives them some additional options. You know, it, it's been very heavy uh, on the Gaudreau, Lindholm, and Tachuk line, and, and they do continue to produce. You know, you look – at this last week, those those four additional wins they had this week, Lindholm had eight points, Gaudreau with eight, Tuchuk with six. Um, you know, Manjapani is offering a little bit of offense from that second line, three goals and one assist in those games, but they need more depth scoring here, absolutely. I mean, Backlund, two assists, Monaghan, two assists, so getting something there um, will, will definitely help. So it looks like he'll start off with Monaghan on that third line, but I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him shift around to backland. He should be on their power play as well. Um, again, I'm not sure if it would be quite the first unit um, because they do have Monahan in that spot. But if he's producing more than Sean Monahan, they could flip those two guys as well. So it gives them some options and really, like I said, a, a pretty good trade piece for an already rolling team. AJ, we're going to be talking more about teams headed toward the trade deadline and the different directions that they're heading in. Chicago is another one that, like Anaheim, is is heading south, in my opinion. And it doesn't help them that Jonathan Taves has missed the last six games with a concussion. They went one and one in a very quiet week for them. Young scoring centers, Dylan Strom and Kirby Dock, taking the next step in their development, I would say, in a good situation for both of them. So the future bodes well, as long as it's formed around them offensively. But they are struggling in the nets with Kevin Lankin and out with a hand injury. And our undrafted Arvid Soderblom being pressed into service behind and beside one Marc-Andre Fleury. And Fleury's name is in the news, too, because he's being asked to consider what he might like to do for his future. Does he want to move to another team? 
and uh, or does he want to finish up in Chicago? And he's giving the political answer that, of course, he would like to win. And if it's not going to happen in Chicago this year, he would possibly entertain a trade. But he does say that he loves it in, in Chicago. He's also said he wants to play again next year. So uh, as a fan of his, I'm happy to hear the latter point for sure. Wonder where you, where you weigh in on that. But uh, our Soderblom is, is a guy that, that maybe a goalie of the future option. He's going to make his third appearance uh, of the of the season this week uh, in a very limited role. Another player to watch on this roster is Mackenzie Entwistle, up to right wing on the second line, while Dominic Kublik is headed in the other direction after having only one assist in his last six games played. That's a bit of a fall from grace for Kublik, who in prior years has been a scoring threat from a top six forward position. Well, look, Fleury's, uh, you know, he's made his money, uh, especially these last three years, the, the highest contract years for him at, at $7 million. So I, I think he basically just, you know, that was his way of reaching out to Mario Lemieux and just saying, like, yeah, I'll play one more year. Just bring me back. I'll take, you know, minimum, minimum bucks, come back, play one more year in Pittsburgh, even if he's got to be the number two. Um, I really do think that's a, that's a distinct possibility that he comes back for, for one more year um, and, and would come back to Pittsburgh. But as far as trades, you know, that, that could be any number of places that the cap hit does make it complicated. Um, but they, you know, Chicago gave up nothing to give, to get him. It was all cap space. So, I mean, even if they brought in like a fourth round pick, like that's a win for them, right? That you had a guy that played for you for part of the year, did okay, you know, the team around him wasn't great, uh, plus some injury concerns. And then you turn around and, and cash in for something for him. I, you know, that's solid business um, by the Chicago Blackhawks there. I'll move on uh, to Columbus, who's dealing with some concerns uh, in the Nets themselves, as Jonas Corposalo is dealing uh, with a lower body injury. It's unclear whether or not he'll be able to start tonight. Uh, Merz Lickens will get the nod tonight, and that will continue a trend that's been uh, going on for a little bit here. Merz Lickens took all three games for the club last week, went 2-1-0. 899 is the save percentage, so not exactly an outstanding uh, save percentage there, but as I said, picked up two wins in three of those games. Um, you know, So that that's going to be kind of the thing to watch with them is how the goaltending uh, situation shakes out. I've been pretty low on their net miners for most of the season just because it's been so uncertain and so split. Like when you're looking at your fantasy goalies, um, you want somebody that's playing almost every night and, and a big share of the workload. So uh, if you're in a keeper league, I, I'm not sure heading into next season if I would keep Merz Lickens or Corpusalo if I had either one of them just because of that uncertainty. Um you know, and, and as far as DFS goes, you know, Columbus has generally struggled on the year as, you know, despite last week. And so that's also a concern there as well. All right. Well, uh, in Colorado, AJ, they had a quiet week only. Well, quiet. They went three and one, I should say. Nate McKinnon back in the center role in the top line after missing four games. That's great news. But one guy who's made the most of an opportunity in the top six is Valery Nichushkin. Eight points in his last nine games played. You know, when this guy came on the scene in the NHL with Dallas a few years ago, I thought he had all the tools to make it. And he's bounced around a little bit. But I think he's really found a home here on that second scoring line alongside Kadri and Burakovsky. And 
I like I'd like my chances in that situation the way those two guys are playing this season for what it's worth. But I think Nachushkin has certainly played a role in his own success as well. I think it's also uh, worth mentioning that at the beginning of the year, I really liked the situation for one Darcy Kemper when he arrived on the scene here. And the numbers just bear that out right now. He's having an outstanding campaign with a record of 24-5 and uh, with three shutouts, uh, 238 goals against average, 92% save percentage. Those are outstanding numbers for a guy who's 31 years old and has to be counting his lucky stars for the situation that he finds himself in. We've sung the praises of Dale, Kale McCarr for much of the season, and he's ha- had his usual four or five point week. But I also want to highlight Devin Taves, who's pretty much a point per game to producer uh, as his partner on that blue line just shows you the the awesome depth they have offensively to put two guys in the defense who are better than a point per game combined and uh, no team can say that in the NHL so it's a real another real asset in their back pocket here in Colorado so things are looking up for a team that's once again going to challenge for the president's trophy in Dallas, uh, you know a, a decent decent week for them as well two and one. Uh, with um, Ottinger taking the the bulk of the workload for them uh, and really, you know, a team that overall, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to know exactly what you have there. I feel like there's, there's weeks that they do really well and they look like they're going to push for a playoff spot. I mean, they're seven and three, seven, three and oh in their last 10 games. Um, But then they'll lose to, you know, more competitive teams. And I think it kind of muddies, the waters here, um, you know, and again, not to just talk all goalies, this isn't a, a goalie podcast, but it is interesting that they've been going with Ottinger a little bit more. He's clearly the the future for them. He will need a, a new contract, but he's an RFA. They don't have to worry about losing him. Whereas, uh, you know, Brain Holpe is kind of taking a back seat uh, and will hit the, the open market. So it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out this year uh, in terms of, of what they decide for, for next season. Um, and they're, they're probably, I mean, man, it's hard to know, right? We were talking about, we'll, we'll see. They generally trending upwards. So um, I, I think there'll be buyers here for, for a little bit. The West is a little bit more open. Uh, so we'll have to watch, but they could definitely use some help, a little more depth scoring here. You look at the last week, Joe Pavelski, Tyler Sagan, uh, both with four points, Jamie Ben with three, uh, and it pretty significantly drops off after the the top couple of guys here. So they could definitely use maybe a third score. Uh, their defense is is fairly solid. They ha- I, I like it at least. I think they have a good combination of offensively-minded players with with defensive guys, um, and, and so I'm not concerned about that. I just think some depth scoring for them could be – what gets them into a for sure playoff team. And uh, we've talked about Detroit and the path that they're taking to become relevant in their division. Again, of course, they're in with some of the league heavyweights, but I like some of the pieces they've got in place. I've spoken glowingly of Dylan Larkin and just continues to pile up points and is a solid DFS option most nights, regardless of the opposition that he faces. He's that good offensively. And the numbers have been there all season long. And he's helped Philip Zadina find his way. Uh, Philip Zadina, I'm not too far removed from being a top first-round pick not so long ago. He's got four points in his last seven games played. Moved over to left wing on the top line here. We'll see whether he can continue to build on that. They've been waiting on Jacob Verana to make his debut with this club uh, 
for this season anyway, after acquiring him in a trade last season with Washington. His health is still keeping him on the sidelines, but the latest news that we're hearing is that sometime before February month in, he should be finally in position to make his debut. Uh, in terms of the defense here, AJ, Moritz Sider has continued to have a pretty solid rookie season, the top-scoring rookie among defensemen in the NHL. He's kind of lapped Philip Ronick, another young guy that was running the power play regularly until Sider came along. But Ronick has taken a bit of a step backward behind Sider in the pecking order, and the defensive side of his game has got him limited to third-pairing minutes here. And that, to me, is a bit of a disappointment because I thought this guy was going to be right there as one of the league's better young defensemen. But it's it's not materializing now. But it should be a good situation because he's insulated with a veteran, Nick Letty, alongside him. Just hasn't materialized yet. So maybe there's an uptick down the road for him. Paul, we have maligned uh, the Edmonton goaltending situation for a while. But maybe they, they have known something that, that we haven't, and I would hope so since they run the organization, right? But uh, Stuart Skinner got one of their three games last week, pitched a perfect 20-save shutout. So maybe there's something there for the future. Um, they are on a three-game win streak. Mike Smith had a good week as well. You know, offensively, it continues to be uh, the the guys that, that it should be. You know, they got uh, production out of McDavid with five points, uh, you know, maybe a, a rough week, quote, unquote, for Leon Dreisaitl without a goal, but he still got two helpers. And really, you know, so far, um, the Evander Kane addition has been solid for them. Two more points in his last three games, giving him six uh, in, in his eight games with, the, um, you know, with the Oilers here. How long that lasts uh, remains to be seen, obviously, but – um, so far, so good for them. And I, I think, you know, like like we've kind of alluded to, some of these teams need some tweaks here or there to make sure that their they're playoff, you know, playoff quality teams. Edmonton sits third in the Pacific right now, but tied in points with Los Angeles and Anaheim. Uh, they have a couple games in hand, which should help them, but they need to be uh, absolutely on point here as far as as far as that goes and and so far it's it's been going pretty well for them well and i didn't finish my comment on carolina but i will hear only in comparison to the florida situation at center ice there's a gulf of difference despite the fact that the statistics are there for the top two pivots in carolina i think you can go three deep in florida and throw in the size and the bite that sam bennett and alexander barkov have and it was on display last night in a game that was the third game between these two teams, and you really saw why, why Florida has come out on top each time. These centers drive a lot of the play with their skill and and physicality, and I don't think there's a team in the league that can come close to what these three guys do in terms of the depth on any one roster at the center position. So that's a big advantage for Florida going down the stretch, and they're finding ways to populate around the wings to, to give some guys some real opportunities here. Sam Reinhardt is insulating Lundell in a third-line role, but the guy on the other side of that line, Mason Marchmont, he's going to haunt me for years, AJ, because he was a Leaf property, and they traded him for a minor leaguer named Dennis Malgan, who you may be fam- somewhat familiar with. But uh, he was a Finnish player who played in Florida and maybe elsewhere around the league, but things never materialized for him. He's out of hockey in the NHL. And meanwhile, Marchman shows a lot of bite. He's got a bit of a scoring touch, some great size. 
And uh, that third line is, is a handful when you consider Lundell is quickly rising up the ranks in terms of rookie scoring leaders. He's over 30 points already and a fine rookie season. And like I said, playing alongside, alongside two guys with the bite and size of Reinhardt and Marchmont really helps him. The second line, an opportunity for Owen Tippett still remains as a top six forward, but he's blowing it here. If you can't make it in Florida, you're in big trouble because this is a prime time opportunity to succeed. And he's not doing much with it right now. Now, meanwhile, Anthony Duclair has parlayed his efforts into a first-line role on this roster on the right side, so good for him. And then a nod to uh, Sergei Bobrovsky. Uh, he was a guy that I picked on ever since he came down to Florida, but I've been quiet this year because the guy's got a 24-4 and one-loss record. The goal's against 254 and a 92% save percentage. Those are great stats, and he's living up to that $8 million cap hit. Well, the Kings were one of the teams that came out of the all-star break with a bit of an extended rest period. So they've only played one game this last week. It was a loss um, started by by Cal Patterson. Uh, you know, I mentioned that they are right there in the mix in the, the Pacific. And, you know, the thing is, this this team is just so, like, too, like too even. Like, you look at their season stats, right? They're 13-11-2 at home, like, just perfectly level. Away games, 11-6 and 5. Like, last 10 games, 4-4 four, four, and 2. Even their goal differential is plus 3. Like, they, they just, I, you know, it's, it's um, if they want to do something here come playoffs, um, they're going to need to find a way to put together, you know, more strong runs of, of solid play for an extended period of time. Obviously, the long-term absence of Andreas Athanasiu was, you know, an impact here. Came back with a flourish with two points in, in his first game back, but he's been quiet in the last four. However, I will point to the fact that he has been shooting the puck even without any points. You look at those last four games, he's averaging three shots a night. So I'm guessing it's going to come here for for him at, at some point. Um, and maybe that'll be kind of the boost that Los Angeles needs to go from being a middling team kind of across the board to more of an upward, uh, upward looking club. AJ, I think I shortchanged Bobrovsky. He just texted me. He says, I'm getting 10 million, pal, not, not eight. So <laughs> he's, he's uh, still playing up to that salary almost when you consider all the numbers that I quoted earlier. A team that LA might aspire to is the Minnesota Wild. They seem to have paired a sound defensive structure that we talked about for the last couple of years here with a growing offense. You certainly have to love the fact that Zuccarello and Kaprizov continue to produce. Kaprizov with another six-point week, and Zuccarello was right there with him, just a point behind, I think. And yet Ryan Hartman, at center between the two guys, only has three assists in his last nine games played. Not a good look for him, but I think he's still a buy-low option and will continue to get some runway here as the first line pivot. So don't shy away from him. I feel the same about center on the second line, Freddie Gaudreau. In fact, he's picked up his scoring pace with eight points over his last eight games played. Solid Jeep DFS value there between Fiala and red-hot rookie Matt Boldy. Uh, so great news for Minnesota that the, that the offense is keeping pace with a defense and a goalie situation around Can Talbot that is uh, one of the better ones in the league. The Habs are 0-8-2 in their last 10 games. Um, look, here's here's what I'm going to say about Montreal. Is when you are looking at your team's schedule, whether it be uh, season-long or DFS, you know, if you're in a season-long league that sets your lineup every day, if you've got a guy going up against Montreal, 
put them in the lineup. Uh, same with DFS, stack opportunities. If you're uh, into sports betting, uh, you know, maybe a good opportunity. They're minus 85 goal differential on the year. So you probably won't get a ton of value on the, the money line uh, betting against Montreal, but you could look to the puck line going against them. So that's my uh, little, you know, short tidbit here, fantasy related talk about Montreal is do everything you can uh, to cash in against them this year. Uh, Cause it's not getting any better when they trade away one of their best players. You know, it's funny. I, I have a tough time with, with the mention of Montreal and, still the memory of their beating of the Leafs in game seven last year in the playoffs doesn't allow me to enjoy the depth of their struggles this season, AJ, because that still haunts me in the back of my mind. So I'm really conflicted (laughs) about that club. The New Jersey Devils are in the same, almost in the same ballpark as Montreal. They're not a team that's not going to go anywhere this year. I don't think Uh, as long, particularly as long as John Gillies is now instead of their third option on the goalie depth chart he's number one because Mackenzie Blackwood is still sidelined with his head injury and Jonathan Bernier of course we mentioned he's done for the year with his injury situation they're looking for growth elsewhere though in a rebuilding year and Pavel Zaka is a guy that uh, fits the bill there four points in his last four games played Damon Severson has really capitalized on Dougie Hamilton's injury absence Chipping it with 12 points over his last 12 games played. Certainly the defensive side of his game has been exposed from time to time because he's getting more high leverage minutes against the opposing team's better players. Hamilton, for his part, is close to return. So I don't want to tout Severson's chances as being very great to continue his streak much longer. So if you're buying him based on the 12 for 12 of his recent uh, records uh, i i don't subscribe or don't, don't recommend buying into him as a future play for the rest of the season i think his numbers could go in the opposite direction still they got they got to be hopeful as, as long as the likes of nico hesher and igor sharangovich continue to score hesher with four points sharangovich with six offering some hope for the future here uh, as well I think in in Music City here, I think we're starting to see the workload maybe have a bit of an effect on UC Saros here. He's dropped three straight games and given up three or more goals in each one of those. And we are talking about a guy that has played in 41 games. Uh, That is a league high right now. Um, Connor Hellybuck is not that far behind at 40. Um, You've seen his struggles as well. Tristan Jari comes in third at 39. And just as a comparative, coming out of the All-Star break, uh, the Penguins have been splitting the crease, the the first four games out of the All-Star break, between Jari and Casey DeSmith. Um, And I I assume it's a a workload uh, situation because Casey DeSmith is not going to challenge Tristan Jari for the starting job by any stretch of the imagination. And you have to wonder if maybe it's time for Nashville to consider um, you know, giving Saros a, a night or two off. I mean, I mentioned, you know, how many games they've played on the year. In their last 17 games, which covers the start of 2022, so January and February, he's played in all but one of them. Um, 16 games played over the course of, you know, a month and a half. That's a really heavy workload. And I don't know if they just have zero faith in David Riddich if you know if Saros is pushing for that level of work um but I I imagine something has to change and this this kind of three-game losing streak that they're on right now could serve as a wake-up call 
for the Predators that if they don't have faith in Riddich, then they need to go out and, and find something here. Um, or they need to give him a few more opportunities because you don't want Saros limping into the postseason having played 70 games this year or something outrageous. AJ, New York Islander fans have taken shots at Leaf fans for year, the last couple of years with Tavares moving on. And they're they're still having they have had much more success than the Leafs in the playoffs in the last couple of years with a couple of Final Four appearances. But really, the struggles of the Islanders this year have flipped that script completely. Look at Josh Bailey's out of the lineup right now, and that's forced them to put Kyle Palmieri in a top six role. Palmieri is a guy they signed to a five million dollar cap hit for the next several seasons in free agency, and uh, it's not working out for him. He's only got three goals and nine points year to date, and at center ice. I've always touted this is a strength of this team when you consider they have Barzal, Nelson, Ajoa, and Tzizika as their four pivots. But the fact of the matter is Barzal and Nelson haven't held up their end of the bargain by a long shot. Their scoring rates are down, and they're both minus players. And you weren't able to say that about these guys for the last couple of seasons. They were on an upward trajectory. Uh, I like Brock Nelson, and Nelson is one of the better shoot first, second-line centers in the league actually, but uh, I'm really disappointed with, with the lack of production out of him. Kiefer Bellows is trying to make his name on the left side. That's been an issue here for a couple of years here behind Anders Lee. They just haven't found the answer. And so the lack of depth in, in their score and their scoring uh, troubles is really coming home to roost this season. And it doesn't help that uh, Ilya Sorokin is it without his running mate again, as uh, Semyon Varlamov's been out, though he'll be back in the lineup. They're expecting him to return this weekend. So at least that's a little bit of good news for the Isles. The Rangers are another one of those teams that's just played one game uh, this past week. It was a 2-1 victory over Boston that went to a ninth round of of the shootout. So a pretty extended shootout workload there. Uh, Paul, uh, 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 you know, kudos to you if you can tell me who won that shootout for the Rangers in the ninth round. Boy, I didn't watch the game, and I don't remember the summary, AJ, but uh, I do remember the nine-round issue. So give me give me the answer, buddy. Keandre Miller. There you go. So uh, Wisconsin Badger product there. Wow, you got the Wisconsin. <laughs> I like of course, it. that sticks out to me. But, you know, <laughs> that just speaks to how, how deep <laughs> that shootout had to go, um, that they were uh, going with, with some of those guys in the, in the back half here. So overall, I mean – they're on a three-game win streak when you count the games before um, before the All-Star break and, and their ensuing time off here. I think the biggest thing for them is the fact that they've got uh, Adam Fox back. He had missed three games with an injury, got four shots on goal in that first game back, didn't pick up a point, um, but really not afraid to shoot the puck, and, and that's going to be the key for them. Uh, is staying healthy and and keeping rolling because the top line looks phenomenal. Um, they're getting production from some of those deeper groups as well. And then, yeah, they have a really solid, uh, you know, four pack on, on the blue line as well. And in Ottawa, AJ, they have to point to a week that wasn't very good for them. We haven't pointed that out in a long while. They've kind of stabilized for, for the last couple of weeks uh, overall, but they went one and three. The good news to report, Nick Paul is a guy to watch, player to watch in the first line. Got a prime opportunity between Connor Brown and Brady Tuchuk, and uh, that's a great spot for him. On the downside, Matt Murray is out of the lineup again with an undisclosed injury. Won't travel with the team on their current road trip. That means 
that uh, and with Forsberg sideline with an illness, that means that Philip Gustafsson will have to take on more of a role there going forward, and that's asking a lot, uh, quite frankly. Tim Stutzley, I, I don't know if this guy's properly cast at center ice age. He was drafted as a winger, but he's getting a long run at center ice, probably because they have a lack of other options with Colin White and Josh Norris on the IR. They have to do something. So uh, it's unfortunate they're, they're pressing him into a position that probably is not a natural one for him. And shame there. And uh, Thomas Shabbat out in the IR, that, of course, cripples the offense from the back end. He is expected to return. Uh, next Tuesday, I think, and uh, we'll see if that takes place. But uh, uh, the news is good that it's not a long-term injury, and they got to get him back in the fold because without him, it's quite a step down to anybody else who has a bit of an offensive upside at the back end. You're looking at Victor Mete, I suppose, and he's been promoted to first-line pairing with Nikita Zaitsev, who's one of the better defensive defensemen on the the roster. So good insulation for an offense first uh, defenseman in Mete. And uh, uh, the tough load that's going to go to Gustafsson, though, that's uh, a lot of responsibility on him right now in the Nets. The, the injury situation continues to be kind of the storyline in Philadelphia here. You know, they seemingly are close to getting Kevin Hayes and Patrick Brown back. Derek Brassard will come back from his hip injury, play in one game, and then he'll be out for a couple more. He's currently in that out mode, so they're clearly not able to figure out exactly how to get him all the way to 100%. Sean Couturier is done for the season. Uh, they're two two of the big pieces that they brought in on the blue line this year. Ryan Ellis, Rasmus Ristolainen, both of them are currently on injured reserve. Uh, Ellis is is likely done for the year um, as well there. So, uh, yeah, it just, you know, they really have been significantly sidelined by injuries. And it's, you know, top guys. It's It's not just a bunch of depth players, although they do also have depth guys that are that are out, you know, a guy like Wade Allison, who maybe would have had a good opportunity to step in to an NHL role, um, maybe, you know, kind of convince the, the team brass that that he should stick around a little bit longer. He's dealing with an injury. Joel Farabee, Nate Thompson, uh, the list goes on and on. So they're going to be hard pressed to, to win too many more games until at least they get somebody back. I mean, if they got Hayes, Brown, and Brassard back, you're suddenly – I mean, that's a whole line of guys um, who could fit into third-line roles, maybe second, depending on, you know, who's been out, um, instead of having, you know, basically a bottom six that is majority, uh, you know, AHL uh, experience. Uh, not to say that they can't be NHL players, um, but they have primarily played in the minors at this point, and, and that's making up – half of their their forward complement. Uh, similarly, you know, Nick Steeler, Kevin Connaughton on, on defense, maybe guys that would be sixth or seventh defensemen rather than half having to play bigger roles. I can see that all of this is making you all choked up, uh, AJ. Very upset. You need to take a bit of a break. So why don't we take a breather and we'll come back and talk about that other Pennsylvania club. Uh, you're listening to the Rotowire fantasy hockey podcast called Podcast with Statsman and AJ. We'll be back right after these messages. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Uh, 
All right, we're back, but uh, let's have another reminder for how our wonderful listeners can reach out to us during the course of every week during the NHL season. Over to you, partner. Yeah, absolutely. If you have comments, questions about anything on the show, hockey, uh, life, other sports, we love interacting with everybody that listens to the show over on Twitter. You can follow me at AJScholes24, and you can follow Paul the Statsman at Statsman22. All right, partner, a few brief comments from me about the Pittsburgh Penguins. They're on a lengthy undefeated winning streak, I guess, overall in the last two months. Most recently, a four-game undefeated streak. Hottest team in the NHL from what I, what I see over the last two months overall. So you got to be smiling like the butcher's dog. How about it? I got that right this time. <laughs> Casey DeSmith with two wins last week, four goals against and a shutout. But you mentioned that Tristan Jari is the guy in the Nets. Of course, Sid the Kid. Can we still call him the Kid? Five points on the week, including goal number 500. And uh, I, I loved seeing the bench empty to have that celebration. That was great that the NHL allowed that. And his buddy, Chris Letang, participating on the, in the scoring on the week with four points himself. The news seems to be all good, buddy, but they do have a tough match tonight. Yeah, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I think they should pretty easily cruise to a win tonight playing um, some subpar competition. So it should be an easy matchup for them. Um, look, you know, I, I agree with you, Paul. It's been pretty much all good news for them. Uh, they got goals the other night from Chad Ruedel, Dominic Simone. So the one maybe Achilles heel of the Penguins over the last two months has been depth scoring. Um, they are going to shuffle things up. Look, last season, Kasperi Kapanen and Evgeny Malkin, like, paired up really well. They seem to gel, and Kapanen and put up some really good numbers. That just hasn't been the case this year. And Kapanen is one of those players who can tend towards um, high-risk plays that can result in, in turnovers. The problem with having him with Malkin is that's like Malkin's MO, right? Like the guy makes an unbelievable play that nobody else can make, and it, and it works more often than it doesn't. But there are plenty of times – where he does the same thing and it, it absolutely doesn't work results in odd man rushes. And you, you just can't have two guys on the same line doing that. So they're going to try something new tonight against, uh, against your Maple Leafs here with Jeff Carter moving over to Malkin's wing alongside Danton Heinen. Uh, and then Casper Kapanen will drop to a third role with two guys who are a little bit more defensively sound in Evan Rodriguez and Brock McGinn. So, um, you know, obviously a concern you're putting all your eggs in one basket without having Carter able to anchor that third line. But I, I don't uh, I don't hate the move. Obviously, Jason Zucker's still been out. So that's that's a factor as well. They don't have the you know availability to put him in the lineup right now. So um, there, there are some maybe uh, I wouldn't call them concerning, but some things to watch, especially to keep an eye out for uh, in, in Pittsburgh here. In Seattle, the big uh, kind of rumblings, if you will, are talk as to whether or not they would trade away uh, Giordano, which would be pretty interesting, I think, to to ship off your first ever captain in franchise history in the first year. I haven't I haven't looked at numbers or you know anything on that, but it seems like it probably hasn't happened before that a expansion franchise traded their captain, uh, their first captain, halfway through the season. But he's on an expiring deal, um, 38 years of age, 
whether he comes back at all or, um, you know, wants to come back to Seattle next year. I mean, you have to imagine at some point here, Mark Giordano wants to win um, and, and go to a winning team. So there's certainly all the reasons to hear his name rumbling on, on the trade rumors. I would expect guys like Marcus Johansson, uh, Callie Yarncrock would get calls as well. Um, maybe even a Riley Shahan who, who, you know, offensively may not be there, but um, a solid uh, de- penalty killer and, and could really add um, some quality depth if somebody felt they needed that. So again, another team that this may be going to sell some, some things off, you know, they haven't had the luxury of doing that for the last couple of years. So they have just their regular complement of picks in 2022, they have one extra pick in the fourth round, but otherwise, um, you know, no real big haul there. And I'm sure Ron Francis could do some damage with some additional picks here and, and make some deals work. AJ and San Jose, they're probably getting what they expected out of one James Reimer. The goals against it is south of three per game. The save percentage is among the better in terms of annual records that he's produced in his career. So he's doing what he can. But his running mate, Aiden Hill, continues to be out of the lineup here. So a lot of pressure on him. And in the meantime, they've brought up Zach Sochenko to back him up. So you can expect Reimer to carry the bulk of the load going forward. But this team's for, uh, fortunes have gone south ever since Eric Carlson's gone out of the lineup with a forearm injury. He'll be back in mid-March, they hope. But by then, it'll be way too late for them to be relevant in the race. So right now, it's just tracking the scoring totals of the guys that are doing well on this team. That would include a short list of Thomas Hurdle, Timo Meyer up front, and certainly Brent Burns on the back end. Though Burns, uh, he was on a tear earlier in the season, but he too has been quieted. I think it's because of the extra work that he's had to take on with Carlson's absence. They... They were hoping to see more of what they saw earlier this season from Alexander Barabanov and Jonathan Dallin, but both those guys have tailed off a little bit as well. So maybe it's the young guys not being used to the rigors of a full NHL schedule, and particularly with the responsibility of scoring line opportunities coming their way. And uh, Logan Couture not quite having a Logan Couture-type season either, only 34 points so far in 43 games. That's a tick below what uh, he's done in his career, and uh, they need all the offensive production that they can find on this roster. They've been really goal-challenged for the last few weeks. In St. Louis, they went 2-1 and one this last week, and look, at, at this point, you have to say Billy Huso has to be the starting netminder uh, for this club. He had two wins, a 1.50 goals against average. Meanwhile, Bennington's one start, he gives up five goals on 27 shots uh, in their loss um, this last week. It's it's just, frankly, it's just not good enough um, from Bennington to, to hold on to that. It's going to raise some real big question marks for them heading into next season, considering Huso is set to hit the, the free agent market, and they no doubt are going to have um, plenty of people trying to sign him. On on the offensive side of the puck, it's it's pretty good news, all things considered. Um, in those three games, you got five points out of Shen, Sunquist, and Buchnevitz. Tarasenko picks up a trio of goals along the way. Uh, defensively, both Falk and Krug grab three points, so they, they've got – um, guys on the back end that are contributing offensively, their top couple of lines are working well. And, uh, you know, Huso is playing really well. I don't mean to say goaltending is a, a problem for them because he has been 
playing well for them as well. So uh, all things coming up roses right now for the blues uh, and, and hopefully a slow start to the year uh, seems to be behind them as they chug along for, for playoffs. And uh, over in Tampa, it's business as usual. One of the league's top teams continues to chug along. Andre Palat, for me, though, is a guy that's still traveling under the radar. AJ, I don't get it. The guy's in uh, stud and DFS play. As long as he's playing alongside those two big names on the top line in uh, Point and Kucherov, he's a must-play whenever this team suits up and kind of brings down the average cost of that line if you're into stacking the whole all three of them. So keep an eye on him going forward as long as he retains that role. On the back end, another guy that's emerging – and it's hard to call this guy emerging, but he is in the current landscape in Tampa. And that's Ryan McDonough. People don't remember that this guy was a few re- years removed from being the linchpin offensively of the New York Rangers. He's got eight points in his last 12 games. When you think about the Tampa defense and scoring options here, he still might rank number three behind Mikhail Sergachev and Victor Hedman, who is still my guy when it comes to who I think is going to win the Norris Trophy this year, by the way. Cal Foote is getting some real good experience in a third-pairing role here to give some bite to the back end and more of a defensive role. That's largely because Zach Bogosian's out of the lineup, and he's going to be back in about a week or two to bolster that back end. Not really an offensive threat, but certainly somebody that gives some more bite to this defense in terms of physicality and will be making them tougher to play when the serious shooting comes around in the spring. Uh, offensively, I, I am seeing that Matthew Joseph is getting more of a run on the second line. Another name to watch here as long as he's playing beside Killorn and Stankos, two longtime partners on that second unit. Joseph, for his part, has 16 points in 46 games. Decent numbers. But I think in that role, he should be expected to produce more. So I'm going to keep an eye on him and see what he can deliver down the stretch. Well, for the Maple Leafs, uh, a tough matchup tonight when you consider the fact that they've lost the previous two against the Penguins by a combined 9-1 to one score, um, a team that they have struggled to score against and have struggled to stop from scoring this season. So um, just you know, keep that in your back pocket when you're considering – uh, DFS options that Toronto has just one goal in two games against the Penguins while giving up nine along the way. Um, doesn't seem like a prime matchup that I'd want to be too interested in here, Paul. Well, I might be, AJ, just to bug you and uh, see if I can go two for two on consecutive nights, but parlaying that with the Olympic victory last night. However, you're, you're quite right to think the Leafs are in maybe a little bit over their head, given the way the teams are going right recently. Leafs are coming off a one and two week. Their only win against Seattle, though it was an impressive game. I think they were unfortunate not to win the other games when you consider they lost those two games after out shooting their opponents 101 to 50 and i'm including the calgary flames in that pair of games so they lost against vancouver as well two teams that were clearly chasing the leafs and the puck all night but lucky to escape with victories in those cases that's largely because the leafs goaltending has a little been a little bit subpar of late Mrazek certainly looks like he's healthy but really not finding his groove he's playing more regularly and uh, and uh, jack campbell struggling uh, in terms of the goals against average in the last couple of weeks the numbers just aren't there the wins are there he's he's winning three quarters of the games that he starts even in that stretch but he's nowhere near the, the save percentage and goals against that he was earlier in the season so you might want to look at the over 
tonight when you consider that little fact. But I have a feeling we're in for a defensive struggle, and uh, we'll see what whether the Leafs' young guns can measure up to the Penguins in their tight-checking ways. Nylander with four assists and Tavares with three assists. I'd still like to see some goals coming from that pair. They're getting most of their points on the league's most potent power play, so I advise your guys not to take too many penalties tonight, partner. Uh, they did pick up Adam Brooks on waivers. This guy has been in the Leaf organization before, and kind of a, late, a little bit of an indicator that there are some moves afoot. His cap hit is the bare minimum of $750,000. I suspect we're going to see a move involving Nick Ritchie sooner rather than later. It certainly hasn't worked out for him. He's on a $2.5 million cap hit, which suggests to me the Leafs are going to have to eat some of that contract, even if they do trade him. So uh, that brings me to the Vancouver Canucks partner and the, the, the turnaround under Bruce Boudreau is real and it's continuing for, for the most part. And it's continuing largely on the shoulders of one Thatcher Demko. And I got a look at him the other night, as I said, in one of those 50 save efforts partner, and he was absolutely out of his mind, but he'd been doing it all year long. You look at the peripheral numbers, 253 goals against 92% save percentage. Those numbers are real and they're justified. This is another one of those big goalies that stands six foot four, well over 200 pounds, covers up a lot of the net. And when you think about the top goalies heading into next year's drafts, I know I'm going to be considering him as one of those guys that's capable of being a workhorse and producing big numbers, similar to what Jacob Markstrom is doing in Calgary. That's how good and how high this guy's ceiling is, in my estimation. Brock Besser's a guy that's enjoyed the turnaround uh, under Boudreau as well. He's starting to find his groove as a regular offensive contributor. And the same also can be said for Elias Patterson, starting to take baby steps toward what he was earlier in his career. He's up to 27 points in 49 games, still nowhere near what you would like to see. But a couple of goals and one helper last week suggest to me that he's on his way to finding the offensive side of his game. And that's great news for Canucks and their fans. Well, I tweeted this out um, earlier uh, this week. I am by no means a conspiracy theorist that like Mark Stone's not actually injured and that, you know, they're just putting him on the IR so that they can activate Eichel and then they'll bring back Stone just in time for the playoffs. I don't buy that in part because I maintain, as I said, when we discussed Kucherov in, in previous seasons, that the team is better off with Stone in the lineup, right? They'd be a better team, um, even, you know, considering they'd probably have had to get rid of somebody else like a Riley Smith or, or something like that. I, I still maintain they would be a better team with Stone in the lineup. Now, having said that, it does, you know, these things do seem to be adding up in, in consecutive seasons where teams are seemingly skirting the cap and, and the rules around that. You know, you've got Mark Stone and Alec Martinez making up, you know, four, over $14 million in cap um, on long-term IR and, you know, so then when you have that, obviously you can fit in Jack Eichel at 10 million and Alex Petrangelo at 8.8 million. So I am starting to be convinced by you, Paul, you've suggested this in the past. I've been resistant to it, that maybe there does need to be some sort of tweak with the LTIR rules. Um, I believe the spirit of it is, is fair. You know, you have a guy who's going to miss several months, you know, several weeks, or uh, really a month based on the number of games um, that maybe you should get some cap relief so you can bring other players in. Uh, I, I fully be, you know, believe in the spirit of the rule, but 
Um, it's going to look real bad when they, you know, activate stone the day after the, the cap lifts for the, the postseason. Um, and, and yeah, it just, it just doesn't feel like we're following the, the spirit of the cap anymore with, uh, with some of these rules. Yeah, I think, I think I agree with you with what you just said, but I wonder this is a dangerous game that Vegas is playing if that's the way they're doing it because they're in a real dogfight in this division with a few teams closer to them in the stands, one of them ahead, actually, uh, of where we thought they'd be first in this division. They're not. The Calgary's number one, and they've got a few other teams right on their heels. So if they're trying to do this as a dodge of, of the spirit of the rule, as you suggest, it's a dangerous game because there there are teams that are right there chasing them, and uh, one wrong move on Vegas can find themselves in big trouble. But uh, the addition of Eichel certainly something that we're going to keep an eye on because this guy is a big cap hit for them and should be their signature, one of their signature players for years to come, uh, assuming that he can play at full strength. Uh, they were blanked in the first night uh, against Colorado in a real good hockey game there, uh, the empty net accounting for the second goal. So we'll see what happens down the stretch, but we'll keep a close eye on it uh, for all our listeners. In Washington, the Caps went 2-1 and one on the week, and Alex Ovechkin continues to close the gap on Wayne Gretzky with every goal that he scores. And uh, the great eight just showing to himself to be ageless. I mean, Gretzky slowed down. This was already slowing down when he was at Ovechkin's current age, and yet Ovechkin's on the books for four more years, I think. So uh, he's, he's just a, a tank that just keeps, keeps going and got a lot of miles left on him the way that it looks right now. And nobody has found the answer for stopping him on the power play. You know where he's going to be on the left wing and they're going to be setting up and, and it continues to work 17 years into this guy's career. It's an incredible thing. And uh, the guys that are taking turns feeding him are two guys that still merit consideration, regardless of whether they're playing with him on a regular shift, they can make their bones on the power play. I'm talking about Kuznetsov and Backstrom. So don't sleep on them. Connor Sheary is running shotgun with Ovechkin on that. First line, so he's a tremendous uh, DFS value play if you're looking to balance your your roster that way. John Carlson is partnered with Martin Fairberry, and uh, since Carlson's one of the better offensive defensemen in the league, Fairberry for me becomes a sneaky DFS option value play going forward. In the Nets, Vitek Vanasek is on the IR, and that means that the load is being shouldered by Ilya Samsonov. He's, he's gotten 20 involved in about 20 decisions, 23 decisions this year, and the goals against average looking decent at 283. The save percentage a little lower than they'd like to see. This guy was a first-round draft pick, and uh, they need him to be better than this, I think, if they're going to entertain a serious run uh, at the end of the regular season and into the playoffs. Well, rounding out our look around the league, as always, we end with the Winnipeg Jets, who had a 2-1-1 week. Uh, Hellybuck, as I mentioned, has played the second most games this season with 40. He played in all four of those contests. And boy, did Mark Shifley decide to wake up over uh, coming out of the All-Star break. He's got goals in five straight games for a total of seven, plus four helpers over that stretch. Um just uh, apparently he decided that it was it was time to start playing. I mean, you look at his uh, previous nine games entering the, the All-Star break, he had one goal, uh, did have five assists. So, was, you know, not terrible numbers, but certainly um, nothing compared to what we're seeing right now. Getting uh, some help there as well from guys like Kyle Connor, who had four points, Blake Wheeler picking up nine. Uh, look, 
it might be too little too late for this team. Um, but they are in the Pacific. I mean, they're, they're in the hunt as long as, or in the Western rather, not, not the Pacific, but they're in the Western conference. Um, so nothing's completely off the board. I mean, you look at the numbers right now, Nashville would take your first wild card spot and that puts them five points behind with a game in hand uh, on, on Los Angeles. So, they're in the mix. If these guys can keep playing to this level, um, you know, that's, that's what they're going to need because it hasn't been the best of seasons, at least not out the gate for Shifley and Wheeler. And in my opinion, and some of it has had to do with the coaching changes and shuffling around lines. They, they had a lot of moving pieces. There were some injuries in there as well for these guys. Um, but if they can finally get things working here and it seems like so far they've come up with a decent combo um, maybe they can actually uh, find their way into the playoffs. Well, that uh, ends the look around the league and brings us to our DFS portion of our show, partner. And I'm looking forward to seeing what you have in the lineups tonight for the DraftKings picks. I'll do the fan duel. So uh, why don't you lead us into your choices on the DraftKings platform, please? Well, I don't imagine you're going to use my, my lineup tonight, Paul. Um, <laughs> it's probably a little bit heavy, although – an argument could be made if you use a bunch of Pittsburgh guys in your lineup and the Leafs lose, then you wouldn't be quite so mad because you want some money. I don't know. You can make an argument for that. But um, as you alluded to, the Penguins have been one of the top teams over the last two months. So I'm going to get a share of both of their top two lines. Uh, I'm going to start with Crosby at 8,000. That's just a no-brainer with how well he's been playing. Um, if you're going to just use one Penguin tonight, I, I think it should be Crosby. I know there's other guys in their lineup that are a little bit cheaper, but he's the one that I would go with um, out of the entire lineup. I'll take his winger, Brian Russ, for 7,700. Was held off the score sheet on Tuesday, but before that had had goals in five straight games and has really just become a huge offensive piece uh, for them the, the last number of seasons. I'll spend a little bit less. Uh, I, I toyed with putting Jake Gunsel in there, stacking the whole first line, but his salary is pretty high. So instead, I'll take two pieces of the second line that I think are going to pair up well. Evgeny Malkin's coming in at just 5800 That's pretty cheap for him, all things considered. I mean, getting Geno at less than six um, is, is solid value. Uh, his numbers have been, you know, since returning uh, from that, that knee injury, 14 points in 14 games, eight of those coming with the man advantage. So you're also getting an extra share of the power play um, by using him. And as I mentioned, Jeff Carter is going to move up to play on his wing. He's just 4,200. I think that's a good combination for these two guys. Carter doesn't get the minutes with the number one power play unit, but he is kind of the anchor for the second group. Um, so that's my centers and, and two of my wings. I'll go with uh, Jonathan Dahling uh, at 3,000 for my third wing spot of, of San Jose. They've got a decent matchup in Vancouver tonight. Uh, Dahling, for his part, uh, is on the second line with Logan Couture and, and Rudolph Balsers, who's going to come back. Um, bit of a, a slump of late. I mean, Dahling has been very hot or cold. You know, he had points in three straight games, and then he goes quiet for a couple, or he'll have a multi-point game and, and go quiet for a couple. So it's definitely a riskier play, but it's just 3,000. It's a decent matchup. They're playing at home. And like I said, he's he's on that line with Couture in a, in a top six role. So I do like that spot. 
Um, for utility position on, on DraftKings, I'm going to go with my third center of the night. And this is uh, Mika Zabinijad for the Rangers, comes in at 7,000. They, again, have a, a really good matchup with Detroit tonight. And we talked about this on the DraftKings show earlier today, Paul. There's just uh, so many top stars with good matchups tonight. Um, Toronto and, and Pittsburgh, both those got, both teams have usable guys. Um, Edmonton's got a really good matchup as well. So you can kind of save some money by going with Zabinijad. And I think he's going to be kind of lost in the mix there because his salary is a little bit lower um, and, and he's having a fantastic season. Defensively, uh, I am going to go with another Ranger here in Keandre Miller who we talked about earlier in the show. He's just 2,900, not a huge offensive piece, but he has been getting minutes with the number two power play unit. Uh, so at least getting a few opportunities there as well. And then Justin Falk for St. Louis. Obviously, I can't uh, pay up with how I've constructed my lineup to use Tory Krug, but Falk has actually been uh, the one producing at a slightly higher level over the last uh, the last week here. He's got points in four straight games. And again, he's he's anchoring that number two power play unit. So he'll still get some opportunities with the man advantage as well. Um, again, you know, I think using Pittsburgh or Toronto's forwards, some of their D, there, there's good arguments for that. I would avoid either of their net minders tonight. Just personally, I, I think that has the potential to be a high scoring kind of shootout game. So I'll go back to the Rangers instead and use Shesterkin, who comes in at just 6,900. Detroit is not without their talented players um, and has the ability to put points on the board as well, but they won't have Vladislav Nemesnikov. That's just one extra piece uh, in an attacking role that, that won't be available to them, and Shesterkin's been pretty solid all year. The Rangers are at home. Um, so that's how I built out my lineups here. A little bit of Rangers, a little bit of Pittsburgh, a sprinkle of a couple other uh, opportunities here. Paul, I'm guessing it's going to be maybe a little bit more leaf heavy in your FanDuel lineup, huh? No, buddy, I'm staying away from that game completely because I I don't agree with you. I think we're going to see a very close defensive struggle. I think two to one, three to two is going to be the final score there. It's going to be a very challenging game for both clubs, and I think defense will come first. And I trust the goalies uh, to come up big in this game as well. So I'm steering clear. Instead, I look at a game that looks like the Christians against the Lions. Later on in the schedule tonight, Edmonton is hosting Anaheim, and Anaheim's already looking like they're going to commit to Anthony Stolarz in the Nets. So I'm going to load up on the Oilers' second line, and that's going to be the feature of my unit this evening. So Leon, Leon Dreisaitl, don't often go all, all the way up to $9,800, but I'll pay up for him tonight in that matchup or mismatch. Anaheim, I've told our listeners that uh, they're struggling to find offense as well. So it just looks like a points night for me for the Oilers, and he features prominently in that regard. And the other game that I'm looking at could be a mismatch is St. Louis against Montreal. So I got a couple of Blues players in the lineup there. I'm picking Ryan O'Reilly at $5,300 to bring a little bit of balance to my lineup and still getting two guys who are centerpieces of their respective offenses there. Uh, of course, I imply that Edmund, Evander Kane will be in my lineup tonight for Edmonton at $7,100. Kyler Yamamoto as well at $3,900. So that brings down my average cost a little bit. And then uh, to round out the forward compliment, I spoke of Elias Patterson. $5,200 the price tag here. A lot of a lot of people not believing in him yet uh, as uh, 
being at or near the top of his game, he's getting top six minutes anyway and featured on the power play. Good enough for me against the San Jose club that's struggling in the nets. And he cost 5200 bucks. Taylor Hall's profile will rise as long as Marchand is out of the lineup. So I think he's a value play at $5,800 against the struggling and reeling Islanders. He's going to get power play exposure as well to the potent Boston Brewer extra man advantage. So I like that for that value there. And then on defense, I put Matt Grizzlick in the picture again for his role, though it's not a central one on the power play. He's more of a second power play type, but gets a lot of offensive zone starts. And I'm counting on a big offensive production from Boston in general, $4,500 his price tag. And I go back to the St. Louis team for their defense, and I take a piece like Justin Falk. He's been on a nice run of late and reminds me of how hot he was when he was in Carolina a few years ago. That's where he's playing right now, bringing a lot of offense to the St. Louis attack, and I plug him in for $5,400 tonight. Behind all of them, of course, I'm going back to the Edmonton game, and I'm looking for the win win probability here. Right now, it looks like Mike Smith is the probable starter. They haven't made a firm choice there, but regardless of who Edmonton starts, that'll be my choice in the Nets, partner. So there we have at the end of another show, and uh, looking ahead to tonight's game, I, I feel like I'm playing with house money, though, a little bit, AJ, because I did get an important victory over you and your fandom of the Olympic team and, and the women's side of the bracket there. So I got one in the bank and I could afford to give one up, I guess, but uh, you're not going to be on the DFS show in the morning tomorrow at DraftKings. I'm going to just say when the Leafs win, we had a bet that the loser leaves town. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, but yeah, uh, I have two in the bank from having beaten the Leafs twice already this year. So two for me, one for you. I think I'm still ahead. Um, so I don't know who's playing with whose house money here, but uh, looking, looking okay. It's all about perspectives, my friend. And we brought a lot of them to the table here today and this morning. Any of you have, have a chance to listen to that DraftKings segment, it was must must watch uh, programming, I think. The, the producer reached back out to me and said that we were outstanding, by the way, today, AJ. So I hope our listeners get a chance to find that clip and uh, – there was a guy from NHL.com on with us, and I swear I saw his head spinning right around trying to keep up with us. <laughs> In any case, uh, a fine way to close today's show. I'm looking forward to the Leaf game tonight, as I know you are, but there are a whole host of games to choose from, and we'll be watching all of them. We welcome you to bring your comments or questions to, on Twitter. Follow me, Paul Bruno at Statsman22. You can follow AJ at AJScholes24. As always, we invite you to listen in to podcasts to get our tips to stay out of the competition in your fantasy hockey planning and research. So long, everybody.